Well, uh, I want you to, we're going to actually be in Galatians chapter 4 today, but I want you to turn to Acts chapter 14 first. Uh, this is kind of a travel journal when the Apostle Paul and his uh, friend Barnabas were on their first missionary journey. They went on, the, uh, they had been in Antioch, uh, uh, and uh, they, they had uh, traveled, uh, They'd been chosen by the church, by the Holy Spirit, really, to go on a missionary journey, to travel. And they traveled several hundreds of miles on foot and ship and foot and preaching the gospel. And so this is the story of what happened to them when they got to the town of Iconium. There's three little, uh, four towns, actually, Iconium, and then there's uh, uh, Lystra and uh, Derby. And, uh, well, and I, I come in here. It's just those three. The three little towns uh, up in Central uh, Asia, uh, what we call Turkey today. But uh, this tells a story of, this is going to be the background for what I want to talk to you about today. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, this is an amazing thing because up until this time, not many non-Jews were believing in Jesus as Lord. But in this missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas would always start out in the synagogue, and then they would preach, and then some Jewish people would believe that Jesus was their promised Messiah. And they would believe that he had died on a cross in Jerusalem, that he had been buried, that he had been raised from the dead, and they would rejoice. And <clears throat> but there were also non-Jewish people who heard this message. And uh, Paul would emphasize to them that he didn't die just for Jews. He died for everybody. He died for Greeks as well. He died for Gentiles, that is, uh, people who weren't Jewish. And so many, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Those Jewish people who didn't believe, they, uh, they actually said to the Gentiles, you can't be saved. You have to become Jews in order to be a Christian. And so they poisoned the minds against the apostles. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And by the way, any time the gospel is preached, it always causes a division. You know, I mean, the gospel unites, but it also divides, doesn't it? When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, so it got pretty heated, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. Now, Lyconia was a, an area that was even more pagan. It was further in the, kind of out in the, 
the, the back country, you might say, and it was filled with people who were worshipers of Zeus and worshipers of all the, the pagan gods and goddesses. And so they went to those two cities, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And uh, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who c- could not use his feet. There was this crippled man, and he was crippled from birth, and had never walked. That's pretty amazing. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looking intently at him. And seeing that he had faith to be made well. He said in a loud voice. Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began walking. <laughs> And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices in the Lyconian language saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They thought this is, of course, they were, like I said, they were pagans and they believed that that somehow or another the gods had left Mount Olympus and had come down to earth to do this particular thing. So Barnabas, they called Zeus. They thought he was the chief god. He was uh, one of the, uh, he was the, the head god. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And uh, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. And when the apostles, by the way, the reason Paul and Barnabas didn't really know what was going on because it says these people answered in the Lyconian language. They, didn't, they weren't speaking a language that Paul understood. And when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, that they were going to offer sacrifices to them. They were going to worship Barnabas and Paul. They tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations... He allowed all the nations, all the Gentiles to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. and Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And he blessed you with all these good things. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. These people were, they were intent on worshiping Paul and Barnabas, thinking that they were Zeus and Hermes. And uh, Paul is trying his best to get them not to do that. Stop it, stop it, stop it. But they, uh, they were barely able to keep them from doing it. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, assuming that he was dead. They had, they thought they'd killed him. They weren't. They didn't. weren't just going to punish him. They stoned him, as far as they knew, to death. 
and they dragged his body outside the city and perhaps threw it in a ditch outside the city. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he entered the city. He went back into the city. I believe, you know, most people, they'd been stoned to death by the people in that city and, and, and then they, they woke up, they probably would say, well, maybe, maybe we ought to move on down the road a little ways. But Paul says, you know, I didn't get my sermon finished. They stoned me after point two, and I had three points. I want to get back in and give my third point. And so when they had preached the gospel to that city, I said, go back. I think I didn't read all of that last verse. He uh, rose up, entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, that's important notice, that they, God was blessing their ministry. They made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they made their way back through the cities. Now, what has happened here, it's all pretty self-explanatory, but Paul has gone to these Galatian cities, that's the area of Galatia, he's preached the gospel, and he's had amazing results. And this lasted for some time. He may have been there six months, eight months, and he made many disciples, and he would meet day after day, night after night with these people, and no doubt... He deeply, deeply fell in love with these Galatian believers. And I tell you, it doesn't take long for that to happen. I have had opportunity to travel to a few other countries and and be able to meet with Christians. And I tell you, there's just an immediate bond of love that you establish with Christians in other countries. I tell you, when you know they love Jesus and you love Jesus... They're just family, and you love them. I just, I miss my brothers and sisters in Bulgaria. I really do. I keep thinking, I want to go back. I just want to go back. And uh, someday, Lord willing, I will. And uh, uh, when I'm over there, I just, Pastor Kircho and Pastor Nosco and all these people, I just love them so much. And, uh, and that's the way Paul was with these people. He spent not just 10 days like I have a time or two in Bulgaria, but he spent several months with these people, no doubt praying with them, teaching them, giving them all this instruction, and just deeper and deeper falling in love with these people. And so uh, uh, he finally has to go back, has to leave them, he goes back home, goes back to uh, uh, his home base, and, uh, and then he gets a message. He gets word that after he left and after he had preached the glorious gospel of the freedom we have in Christ to these people, they had believed and they were following Jesus After Paul left, some sneaky snakes came in. Some some people that claimed to have been sent 
from Jerusalem came in and began to teach these people that they weren't truly Christians because they were not Jewish. And that if they really wanted to go to heaven when they die, they have to observe all of the Jewish laws and commandments. They have to eat the way Jews eat. The men would have to be circumcised. And they would have to follow all of the festivals and the feast days and the fast days and the Sabbath days and the new moon days and all of the different rituals and ceremonies of the Jews. And these false teachers were teaching a message that salvation was by human effort and by religious activity and by ritual observance and that what Paul had told them that salvation was free and that it was purchased by Jesus on the cross, confirmed by his glorious resurrection and that if they believed in Jesus, they would be saved. Oh, what a great message. And how it must have, the Jewish people that believed, that must have been so exciting for them. And the Gentiles who had been worshiping all this, these pagan gods and goddesses, they believed. And uh, what good news they had received. But now they're confused. <clears throat> and some of them are saying, well, well, but Paul said, and these people said, We hate to tell you this, but Paul is just a radical troublemaker. Paul is, he's a a fraud. He's a, a phony. He's just in it for himself. Paul, you don't want to listen to Paul. And the people got so confused. And they began to submit to the rituals of the Jewish religion and began to turn away from the gospel of the grace of God. And when Paul heard it, he wrote them this letter called Galatians. And he starts off, he's mad as a wet hen. He is just, he's just chewing them out. But what I want you to see, I want you to hear a passage in Galatians chapter 4 today, and I actually don't want you to to hear it. I want you to feel it. And I tried to think of a way to help us know how this might feel, and here's what I thought. I thought, what if you had a son or a daughter that you obviously just loved, and you had poured your life into them, and they had become a Christian, they had been baptized, and they had gone to church with you all your all their lives, and then, and then they go off to college, and they fall in with some folks there who are telling them a bunch of junk, and they come back home, or they write you a letter. And they say, Mom, Daddy, you know, we've been enlightened since we've been away at college. 
And we have learned that God didn't really create the world. And we've learned that everything just evolved out of nothing, which is stupid. And, and we have learned that the Bible is just an old, old book written by a bunch of men who didn't really know very much. And it's just a religious fable. And we've learned that uh, there really is no heaven and there is no hell. What would your response be to that? My first response would be Paul's response. I'd be mad and upset. And I'd be wanting to yank somebody's lips off. I'd, I'd just be so upset. And I, I might write them a letter and I might start off, Who has bewitched you? Why, you foolish son, daughter. You, you, you've lost your mind. And, just... and then after I get a little further in the letter, I think, You know, the Bible says that the wrath of man doesn't necessarily accomplish the righteousness of God. And I might want to change my approach just a little bit. And that's what Paul does in chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God, says, I remember before I met you, you were all slaves to all that paganism and all the sinful lifestyle because the pagan lifestyle was one of absolute immorality and ungodliness. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, that's even better, How can you turn back again to those weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? said, you know, you came out of slavery and now you're wanting to go back into it. And he says, "Uh, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Says you've fallen into religious ceremonies, religious rituals. You're trying to please God by performance rather than by faith. I'm afraid that I might have labored over you in vain. I, I may have wasted all those months I spent teaching you, telling you the good news. And you might say to that son or daughter at college, man, Have I wasted 18 years trying to teach you the truth, praying with you at night, going to church with you, taking you to Sunday school, taking you with me to to serve the Lord? I'm afraid I, I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Now he's kind of changed from fussing at them He's pleading with them. I I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You, You did me no wrong. And then he says, you know, it was because 
of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. I kind of left a little something out of that passage there in chapter 14. After they stoned Paul there at Lystra, he went to Derby, and he must have been a mess. He was all beat up. He had been pelted with big rocks. He had, uh, had almost died. They thought he was dead. And so when he goes into Derby, he's a mess. He's ugly. He may have been ugly to begin with, but I mean, he was, he was extra ugly. And uh, uh, bleeding and, and, and battered and big knots on his head maybe. And, and many people believe that his eyesight had been seriously affected. That maybe he was practically blind because of the maybe the stones and everything like that. And he goes into Derby and uh, preaches the gospel to them. And they just, they love him. They said, man, here's a guy who loves us so much, he's willing to nearly die in order to bring us this good news. And man, they just absolutely loved Paul. And Paul says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I came to you begin, uh, to preach the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, and actually the word there for trial is the word disgusting. It's the word uh, offensive. You know, I came to you, I was bleeding and maybe, maybe smelling bad. I don't know, you know, maybe had an infection. The idea is that, that you probably felt like just telling me to go on down the road. But though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me. Or despise me. But in fact, you received me as if I were an angel from God. As, as if I were Christ, Jesus. What, what has become of the blessing you felt? What's happened to you? He said, I, I thought you loved me. What happened to that love? I, I testify to you that if possible, you love me so much that you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Man, these people really, really loved Paul. How, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. See, they, they come in like they really care about you, but really they just care about themselves. And he said it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, but I am perplexed about you.
Do you feel? Do you feel this text? Boy, I have this week. I've thought, you know, you love somebody so much and you see them believing the wrong thing. I talked to a family this last week. Been married 30 years. Had a house full of children. They loved each other. And this wife got to reading Oprah Winfrey. And Oprah was telling her, you know, if your husband's not making you happy, you ought to just move on along, find somebody that can make you happy. And this, uh, and Oprah, in this book Oprah was recommending, was saying, uh, if you feel like that marriage has robbed you of your identity as a person, and if you feel like that marriage has made you miss out on being and having what you want to be and have, then get out of that marriage. Find your happiness. Express yourself. Enjoy life. And this woman, a Christian woman, has said to her husband, I want out. I don't want to be married anymore. Because I want to be and have the stuff that my single friends have. I want, and Oprah tells me that I'm doing the right thing. Well, I'm going to tell you, Oprah is a liar. Oprah is a false prophetess. Now, you may say, well, I love Oprah. Well, sorry, you do. You ought not to. You can love Oprah, but you ought to reject her false teaching. And she is teaching a bunch of false stuff. And she has a following that's incredible. And she is like these false teachers who came into Derby and began to teach lies. And look, Paul believes these people were truly saved. He doesn't really doubt their salvation. He, He believes that they've been deceived, tricked, led astray. And I'm telling you, What this passage says to me, that it is absolutely vital. It is absolutely necessary that we build our lives, our marriages on truth. The truth as it's presented to us by the men of God in the Bible and in the pulpit. Because I... I'm going to speak the truth to you. I'm not going to tell you something 
to, to make you feel good. Because sometimes the truth doesn't make us feel good. Paul said, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Well, friend, your enemy are the ones that tell you the lie. Oh, they want to make much of you, but it's so you can make much of them. They, they want your... You, they, they want you to follow them, but it's for their benefit, not for your benefit. And I'm just telling you, Paul says, first I was mad when I heard it, but now I just want you to know I'm brokenhearted. And I'm pleading with you. Remember the love that we shared. Remember, I thought you loved me. In fact, there, there was a time I believed you would have actually gouged out your eyes and given them to me if you could. What's happened to that love? And I would say to that college son or daughter, do you not remember the love we shared? It wasn't, it wasn't religion that I taught you. It was a relationship that I had with you. Remember the love that we shared. And I'm telling you, God does not want us to have a religious life. He wants us to be deeply in love with Him. He does not want us to observe religious duties so we can check off a list and say, well, I've done my duty, now maybe God's going to love me. No, He says, I want you to lay all those lists aside. And I want your heart. And I want you to passionately, deeply love me. And that's what I want. That's what I want for you. I don't want you to be religious. I want you to be deeply, deeply in love with Christ. I want you to look at him and say, you were not only willing, but you did lay down your life for me. And you have won my heart by the sacrifice you made. And now I want to pour my life out for you, not in religious activity, but out of a deep affection for you and I would just ask you today you know is anybody trying to bewitch you is anybody trying to lead you astray trying to tell you that uh, there's a better way than God's way most of the deceivers appeal to selfish motives in our heart they tell us 
that uh, I know the Bible says this and this and this, but don't you think you'd feel better if you did it this way or this way? And I'm saying that you must and I must say to those voices, be silent. God has spoken, and I will live by what he says, and I will be better off for doing so. Oh, Paul said to the Galatians, back in Acts chapter 14, I taught you that through much tribulation and testing, you will enter the kingdom. There will be lies to reject. There will be tests to pass. There will be temptations to resist. But through that, we enter into the fullness. Paul says there at the end of Galatians chapter 4, he said, my burden is for Jesus to be formed in you. He said, I'm like a a woman having a baby. I'm travailing in pain and grief and sorrow because what I want, and I'm willing to go through it, is I want Jesus to be fully formed in you. And I tell you, that's what I want for each of you as well as for myself. I want us to be growing in grace and in our understanding of Jesus and in our confidence in his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passionate plea by the Apostle Paul to people that he loved so dearly. And he saw that they were being sidetracked. They were being kidnapped. They were being hoodwinked. They were being lied to. And they were in danger of leaving the fullness that you had for them for the emptiness of these self-satisfying lies. And I pray that you will guard our hearts. God, I pray... You'll guard my heart. I hear the voices. I hear the voices of the liars, too. And I reject them with all the strength and energy that you provide and say, silence, liars. I believe the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that you'll help us to follow him in our thinking in our feeling, and in our choosing. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, We would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.